0: When I was a kid, I was about five years old. My dad uh, took us on a family vacation down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we were we lived in a little town in Lancaster, Ohio, at that point, uh, this little glass manufacturing town, kind of out in the woods in Ohio. And so I had never seen a body of water like the ocean. I had I had pulled some crawdads out of the creek as a kid, and I had pulled some bluegill out of the out of the pond when I was a kid, but I had never seen an ocean. So when we get to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we walk out onto that beach, and I'm five years old, and I look out and I see white sand and I see seagulls and I see waves crashing in on the beach. Man, I was mesmerized. I was I was excited. This was something brand new. The expansiveness of it, the beauty of it, uh, just just got to me. And so I couldn't wait to get in the water. That's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to swim in the ocean. So I tell my dad, I said, Dad, let's go swimming. Let's get out there in the ocean. Let's go have some fun. Well, there were two problems with my request. One is I didn't know how to swim, and, and, and so that's a problem in, in the water. But two was on this particular day, the waves were coming in uh, at a pretty good clip. And they weren't small waves. I mean, I was a small guy. I was, you know, I was five, five years old, so I probably was 50 pounds soaking wet. You know what I mean? And, and these waves seemed to be about, about my height. So my dad, after I talked to him and begged him and pleaded and asked and cajoled and whined and whimpered, finally he said, all right, son, we're going to go in the water. We're going to go into the waves. But here's the rule. Here's the one cardinal rule. Here's the non-negotiable. You need to hold my hand the entire time that we are in these waves because you cannot swim. And there's an undertow in the ocean. And it can pull you out if, if you get caught up in it. You can get sucked into the water and pulled out into the ocean. So whatever you do, don't let go of my hand. I said, no problem. So I take my dad's hand. We go into the ocean. And, man, it was, it was amazing. It, it, if, if you remember the very first time that you tasted salt water or smelled the ocean water, that's, it's a very different experience than you know, a creek in Lancaster, Ohio. I mean, the whole experience was just like so exciting and so mesmerizing. And the waves would just sort of keep coming and just kind of roll over you. And, and, and you even got into a moment where you could kind of get into the, the flow of the waves so that you're actually rising up and coming down on the wave. And your head is staying above the water and you're just kind of going with the flow. And it was a beautiful experience, so much fun. And my dad's right there with me. We're having a good time. But then suddenly, unexpectedly, and I don't know how this works, but suddenly and out of, the, out of the blue, a wave came in that seemed to me at least to be about twice the size of all the other waves that had been coming in. A big wave came in, and this big wave comes over and crashes onto us, and I wasn't expecting it. I don't think my dad was expecting it. And in the panic of the moment, because this wave just kind of wiped, wiped me out, in the panic of the moment, I let go of his hand. And when I let go of his hand... I remember the wave just taking me down under the water, and I remember like kind of spinning under the water. I actually remember the feel of the sand on my back as I'm being dragged down under the water, and I'm being tossed back and forth to and fro, tumbling, barrel rolling, thinking about the undertow that my dad had just told me about, and I'm terrified because I don't know when or where or how I'm going to come up out of this ocean. Sometimes in life, we go through changes that can feel like wave after wave after wave after wave that comes crashing in on us. We're in a series called Transitions, and Transitions is all about how do we navigate life's changes. Sometimes we go through experiences in life where the changes are subtle and small, and we can sort of ride above the waves, and we can kind of float up and down with the waves, and we can get into the flow of the water, but sometimes a situation comes along, a change comes into our life that crashes in on us and makes us feel as if we're out of control, and we don't know if or how or when we are going to emerge from that change. It can be disorienting. It can be frightening. It can be terrifying because we don't know how we're going to come out on the other side. I am... Confident, a hundred percent confident that all of you have navigated some pretty significant changes in your life. How many of you are going through some changes in some area of your life, even right now? Just just some kind of transition in your life? in case you need help, I, I wanted to jog your memory by giving you a, a list of possible changes that you may be experiencing. See if you can find yourself in any of these potential changes we 've got a new relationship, a breakup, engagement, a new marriage, a pregnancy, a birth. Uh, of child, adoption, foster child, emptiness, retirement, marital separation, divorce, personal diagnosis, diagnosis of loved one, death of loved one, new school, dropping out of school, graduation, new job, job loss, career change, good investment, bad investment, relocation, start diet, stop diet, start exercise, stop exercise, pay raise, pay decrease, bankruptcy, won the lottery. Anybody fall anywhere in any of those? All right. Anybody got the last one? Anybody won the lottery? Anybody? All right. Because I was getting ready to switch to a tithing sermon if somebody won that $1.6 billion jackpot this week. Come on, somebody. Amen. Into the storehouse, Malachi chapter. Okay. Um, (laughs) Amen. All right, now we'll we'll stick with this sermon. Amen. So we're we're all going through changes. In fact, the reality is, is that you're always entering, experiencing, or exiting a transition. I mean, we have moments of status quo. We have moments where things are going like, okay, you know, things are kind of the same today as they were yesterday. But if you notice, those moments don't last. We're always going to go through another change in our career, in our situation, in our relationship, in our life, in our heart, in our personal experience, with our friends, on our job, at our school. There are are always going to be changes. Going, Change is inevitable. So the question that we're asking ourselves throughout this series and we're asking to learn from the Scripture is, How do we navigate well? How do we transition well? How do we move from one change in life to another? Because the truth is that sometimes the way you navigate the change will determine the outcome that you experience on the other side. The better you transition, the better the outcome. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to to go through changes that make my life worse after the change. I want to be better as a result of the change. And I I don't mean that the outcome is always the one I want, but I want to be better as a result of the changes I experience. I don't want to be beat up by the change. I want to be strengthened by the change. If I go through something in my life, I want to come out on the other side, wiser, stronger, more loving, uh, 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 more experienced. I I want to come more spiritually mature, more patient, right, gentler. I I want to come through. I don't want to just weather the change. I want to win in the change. I don't want to just experience it. I want to go through the change and excel through the change. Does Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you don't, you don't want to, to just get, and, and we've seen this and this is probably some of you have experienced this certain changes in life. You come out and then you come out on the other side and you're like, I'm worse off. Like I'm more beat up and I'm struggling worse now than I was before I entered that change. But God actually wants to, God actually wants to use changes in our life and transitions in our life to strengthen us and to make us more and more like him to turn us into the image of his son. So God can use change to make you better. So the question that we have to ask is how do we do that? How do we transition well? How do we move through change in a way that makes us stronger when we emerge on the other side? And I'm excited about the the passage that we're going to explore today because I feel like I was reading. I was reading out of Daniel chapter three. Uh, I guess it was last week when I first came across this passage again after a long time. But I started to see some fresh insight in in a traditional story, an older story. How many of you know the story? And, and many of you who grew up in church will know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. Anybody know that story? The fiery furnace. Does that ring any bells for you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I, I actually I, I mentioned this earlier, but but. I don't know why we don't use those names. You know, there's a lot of biblical names. You know, Abraham, you know, Paul, Peter. Fine, good names, good names. But why, why no Shadrachs? You know what I mean? If we have another kid, I told my wife, Meshach. We're going to name him Meshach. So just be prepared. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, it's an amazing story. It's a, it's a familiar story. Some of you know the story. But what I recognized this time when I read the story as I was preparing Uh, for this sermon, I realized that these three guys went through more change in a short period of time than most of us will go in our entire lifetime. I mean, in a very short period of time, these three young men, they were Israelite men. They lived in in Jerusalem with their families. And in a very short period of time, their country was invaded by the Babylonians, by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. They were invaded. The, The Babylonians took over their country These three boys were kidnapped, taken from their homes, moved to a new country, moved to a new city, required to learn a new language, had to learn a new culture, had to wear new clothes, had to make new friends, had to go to a new school, had to get a new job, were introduced to new foods, like everything in their life changed, everything in their life. And not because they wanted it to change, it was because it was forced upon them. These were changes that that were outside of their control, and so... They had to ask themselves, what can we control when everything on the outside is being changed for us? What can we control and not change in us? That's the question. Because they were faced with the biggest change and confronted with the biggest change when the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, said to them, hey, I I know you've got a new 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 life and new culture and new people, but here's what I'm going to require. I'm going to also require that you worship a new God. I want you to give up the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God Yahweh Elohim, your, your creator God, and I want you to worship the Babylonian gods. So everything on the outside was changing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to decide what on the inside is going to change. What is, what is What is going to change? In fact, the The king issued an edict. He put out an edict. He put out a law. He said, look, I'm building a golden statue out in the desert. And I'm going to get a band. And there's going to be zithers and harps and and singers and tambourines. And they're going to start playing some music. And when they start playing this music, I want everybody to bow down to my God. Everybody is going to bow down to this new God. And everybody in Babylon said, well, okay, that's no problem. We'll do that. Not a problem. Except for three people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, we, we can't do it. You know, we can't do it. There are certain things that we can go through and certain changes we can experience. But there are certain things that we're not going to change. And we're not going to give up the God of our fathers. And we're not going to give up worshiping uh, the God who created the heavens and the earth. The, the God who created the We're not going to give up on worshiping that God. So the king got the statue built, got the band together. The band started playing. Everybody bowed down to the God except for those three. And the scripture says that some of the people who didn't like them anyway decided to go to the king and say, hey, you know those three Hebrew kids that you brought over here that, you know, they kind of do their own thing. They eat their own food. They pray to their own God. Yeah, I know you're talking about. They're not bowing down to the God that you built. They're not obeying the law that you decreed. They're not obeying the edict that you sent out. So Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, bring them here. So they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the king And this is what happens. The scripture says that the king was furious with rage. And he says to them, he asked them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or that you do not worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, he says, doesn't even wait for him to answer. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made very good, In other words, I'm going to give you a second chance because I heard you're not, you know, doing what I told you. I'm going to give you a shot to make the change that you need to make. So if you bow down and worship him, good. We're all good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, he asks, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? It's a good question. It's a fair question because he's got the furnace there. He's got the fire there. He's got the soldiers there. And so he's saying, hey, look, I'm telling you to do this. If you don't do this, I'm going to throw you into this furnace and what God is going to save you from that furnace. Now, this would have been a convenient time if the three Hebrew children were so inclined to say, you know, it's I guess it's not that important that we worship the God of our fathers. I mean, I guess the commandment that says uh, there is one God and thou shalt have no other gods before me. I mean. You know, there's probably a little wiggle room in there somewhere, isn't there, right? Maybe we could just bow down to this idol, and then we can just move on with our life. Things are going okay. We're in a new country, right? But they don't, they don't decide to do that. In fact, I love their answer. This is, this is, you need to put this on a plaque and hang it on your wall. Here, here's, how they, here's how they respond. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. So they just start off right out of the gate like, hey, man, listen, we don't even need to talk to you about what we're getting ready to do. We don't need need to discuss this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, and then this is what I love. Here's what we're going to focus on. They say, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Somebody say power. The God we serve is able to deliver it from us. Then they say this, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Somebody say provision. But even if he does not, this is my favorite part, he can, he will, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the image of gold that you have set up. Today, I want to speak for just a moment on the necessity of non-negotiables, the necessity of non-negotiables. There are some things in your life that you cannot change. There are some things on, in your life that you better not change. There are some things in your life that need to be non-negotiables. There need to be some things in your life where you go, that's a line in the sand. I am sticking with what I believe here, or I'm going to stay with what God says here. There are some things in your life that are non-negotiables, and here's the premise of the sermon. So if you get this, you get the whole sermon. The best way to navigate change in your life is to determine what won't. You following me? The best way to navigate change in your life is for you to to decide what will not change. What are some things that are non-negotiables in your relationship? What are some things that are non-negotiable in your job? What are some things that are non-negotiable in your relationship with your family? What are some things that are non-negotiable in your spiritual growth and in your spiritual life? What are the non-negotiables? Because the best way to navigate change in life is for you to know ahead of time what will not change, what you refuse to allow to change. A non-negotiable means it doesn't matter what the outcome is. It doesn't matter what the damage financially, uh, reputationally, uh, uh, health, physical, whatever it is. I have some non-negotiables that cannot change and that cannot be bought for any price. And when the three Hebrew children are presented with this opportunity, to not be burnt to a crisp, they still say, hey, we've got some non-negotiables. I believe, and I, and I believe God is teaching us out of this passage, that if we can establish some non-negotiables in our life, some foundational principles, some foundational non-negotiable truths in our lives, he'll get us through any change. He'll get us through any transition, and we'll come out better, not bitter. We'll come out stronger, out of the transition than we were when we went into the transition. And the very first one, they say, uh, right out of the gate, you notice what they start with. They say, our God is able. Our God is able to deliver us." This. this is a confession of the power of God. This is a confession of the authority of God. It's a confession of saying, we serve a God who is almighty, who is all-powerful. Who, who, who created the heavens and the earth, so any problem that we experience is has doesn't have a chance against the God we serve. So the first non-negotiable that I, I would challenge you to incorporate in your life is to believe in God's power. It's the very first principle, and it's a powerful principle even though it seems, you know, it seems obvious, but a lot of times it isn't obvious to us. A lot of times we sort of sort of generally have a sense of who God is, but we don't actually affirm his power. We, 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 we look at circumstances. We are more daunted by the circumstances that we face and the problems that we face than we are by the power of the God we serve. Somebody's with me. Can you hear me out there? Sometimes, in fact, Jesus, Jesus one time, he, he had two blind men that came to him and, and they said, son of David, have mercy on us. Heal us. And he only asked them one question. And his question was a question of ability. He said, do you believe that I have the power to heal you? Do you believe that, that I have the power? And they said, yes, Lord, we believe. You know what his response was? His response was this, according to your faith, so be it unto you. In other words, to the extent that you believe in the power of God, to the extent that I'm going to heal you. Some of us don't, don't truly believe in the power of God, even though we're confessing Christians, we say we believe in, but it's, it's in our heart of hearts. It's, you know, the problems still seem bigger. I I don't want to cross too many old Testament stories, but I love the story of David and Goliath because in the story of David and Goliath, everybody thinks this is a, an underdog story. You know, they always think, Oh, you know, David's an underdog. There's this big giant. And then there's this little David and, and it's a great story about an underdog prevailing. Everybody sees the story that way except David. David didn't see it that way. David saw Goliath as the underdog. David said, Oh, you know, <laughs> this poor guy, all he's got is a, is a spear and a shield and a sword and, you know, nine feet of frame, you know, and 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 you know, a few hundred pounds. That, that's all he got. That's all he's got. I've got the power of the Almighty God on my side. So I'm not the underdog. My problem is the underdog. The circumstance is the underdog. The situation I'm facing is the underdog. The impossible outcome is the underdog if you believe in the power of God. Today I would just challenge some of you. This is the thing for you. Begin to believe in God's power. Begin to meditate on God's power. Begin to contemplate, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Believe that you serve the God who who said, let there be light and there was light. Believe in the God who created you, who fashioned you, who formed you from before the creation of the universe. He knew you. He knew you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. That's the God you serve. They believed in his power. But they didn't just stop with this sort of esoteric belief in an abstract God. They said he he can, he is able to deliver us. But then they said this, he will deliver us. He will. This is taking it to another level. This is taking it, it's one thing to believe in God's power. It's another thing to believe that God's power is personal. It's another thing to believe that that God's authority is is going to come through affection for you. It's one thing to believe that God could do it. It's another thing to believe that God would do it. I, and this is I'll, I'm open confession time. It, I believe in God. I mean, I believe in God. I believe he's powerful. I believe he's all powerful. I believe he created the heavens and the earth. My challenge is, okay, but then how does that power translate into my situation? How does that power translate into my circumstance? Anybody with me right now? Some, some of you might have that feeling of like, you know, there's a God and he's powerful. Yeah, and, and, and he's powerful in other people's lives. But I don't know if he's powerful in my life. First non-negotiable was believe in God's power. The second one is this. Trust in his provision. Trust in his provision. Trust that that this power that he has is not an abstract power, but it's a personal power. That he has a relationship with you. That he wants to see you prevail. That he wants to see you come through the hardships that you're facing. That he wants to pull you up out of the waves. That he wants to get you out of the fiery furnace. That he loves you. It's personal. Anybody anybody like the, the movie Princess Bride? Anybody watch that movie? Okay, yeah. I mean, my kids are now obsessed with The Princess Bride. I mean, my little kids, this is, this is a My Generation movie, all right? But my kids are obsessed with it. They know the lines. They're repeating them in the car, ad nauseum. It's terrible. It's obnoxious. Somebody stop. And here's how, I can, here's how I can find out if you know the movie well and if you're really a fan of The Princess Bride. If I say, no more rhymes, I mean it. You say, okay, very good. All right, all right. Not as... Not as Not as emphatic as the first service, but um, the rest of you are going to have to Google this movie, okay? It's just, there's a lot going on. Um, Some of you might know it a little too well. I could tell by the enthusiasm of your reply. Uh, The story is, uh, it's a love story, and it's the story uh, of this young couple that are in love, madly in love, truly in love, it's true love, that they're in love with each other, and the, the two people are... Wesley, the farm boy, and Buttercup, the princess. And here's a beautiful little picture of them. Does this ring any bells? Some of you are following this story. Some of you, right? I mean, these two love each other to the extent that whenever she says something, you know, farm boy, fetch me that picture. And he says, what does he say? (laughs) Okay. Now you're coming out of your shell. Good for you. As you wish. So they fall in love. They fall madly in love. And this is true love. It's the real thing. But something comes and threatens to upset their love, and that something comes through this guy, Prince Humperdinck. How many of you know this is Nebuchadnezzar? Okay, so just believe me, I haven't gone off the rails. This is all still tracking, okay? Humperdink comes and he says, I'm taking this girl, I'm taking this bride, and she's going to be my bride. But he's actually planning to marry her, and then he's going to murder her for political reasons, which I can't get into right now. You have to watch the movie yourself. He's going to murder her. And they're in the palace, and, and he throws Wesley into the pit of despair. So Pe- Wesley is being tortured, and Buttercup is about to get married to evil Prince Humperdinck. And, and they have this moment where Prin- uh, Princess Buttercup says, "Listen, Listen, Prince, I just want you to know that the love between Wesley and I is true love. And she says, in my Wesley, there's the line, my Wesley will always come for me. He's going to rescue me. I don't just believe that he can, but just, just know that he will, right? And then there's more funny lines, but I, and I don't want to give it away, but Wesley comes and saves her in the end. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that's, that's what happens. And, um, and they kiss and it's true love and everything's works and happily ever after. So, Here's here's what's happening in in the story of of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're saying, look, we serve a God who not only can, he will. I'm confident that the God I serve is going to come through. I'm confident that the God I serve is not just an abstract power who has power, but it doesn't apply to me. His power applies to my my problem. His power applies to my circumstance. His power applies to my situation. That's the God That I serve now. If you're like me, that's the leap. That's the leap of faith. That's when you have to go. Okay. Not only do I believe in an all-powerful God, but I believe in a God who wants to bring that power into my situation. In fact, Jesus went one time when he was uh, asked to heal the son of of a of a a man who came to him who had a, a son that badly needed his help. Jesus said to the man, He said, "Everything is possible to those who believe," and. The man's response is like is like my life motto. He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is going from I believe he can to I believe he will. Some of you today are in situations or going through changes, going through transitions right now, and you believe that God can, I want you to start believing that God will. I want you to start believing that God is going to intervene in your life and and. and, 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 and and step into the area of your life where you need him most. Your relationship, your job, your career, the, 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 your family, your child's life. Whatever it is that you think that God can do, I want to I challenge you to start believing that he will do. Because some things have to be non-negotiable. We've got to believe in God's power. We've got to trust in his provision. And then they finish it off with the most beautiful, compelling, powerful line in the whole story they say but even if he does not even if it doesn't turn out the way that i think it should even if it doesn't if he doesn't answer my prayer in the way that i'm confident that he's going to even if he doesn't i'm still not going to bow down and worship your gods i'm not going to bow down i'm there are some non-negotiables in my life and this is one of them i believe in god's power i trust in his provision and I'm going to be committed to his principles. I'm not, no matter what I go through, no matter what, what I experience, no matter what the possible outcome is, I am going to make a commitment to the principles of God, to obey the, the, the commands of God in my life. And no matter what the circumstance dictates, and no what, matter what the potential outcome is, I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to keep going. Some of you have heard of the theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in 1906 in Germany. And he felt a sense of call to the ministry when he was 14. Uh, And he uh, uh, was able to start training at seminary and started to go to school to study divinity. In fact, at a certain point, he even came over to the United States, went to New York, a Union Theological Seminary there, and began to study for the pastorate. He met a young man there, another seminarian, African-American seminarian named Frank Fisher. Frank Fisher had been uh, serving at a church in Harlem, the Abyssinian Baptist Church, and he invited Dietrich Bonhoeffer to come and uh, come to church with him. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had grown up in Germany and only gone to, 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 the, to the kind of German church that he was raised in, was now in Harlem going to the Abyssinian Baptist Church with Frank Fisher. And what he was struck by was the degree to which different people from all different walks of life were, were praying together and serving together and loving each other and caring for each other. And it really it really hit home for him. It really struck a chord with him because he started to see that you know, this is what this is what Christ was talking about. This is the mission. This is the vision uh, that God has for his church. It's a it's a global picture of, of who God is. And so uh, it's it, it really started to, to become a deep part of his theology. So when he went back to Germany, he was struck by the rise of Nazism. He was struck because at the very same time Adolf Hitler was coming into power. And here is a, a young man who just got his theological training and he starts to go, OK, well, this is anathema to the gospel. This is, this is a line in the sand. This kind of, um, um, the, 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 the anti-Semitism and the bigotry of this, of this guy, it's, it's not, this is not what Christ has called us to do and called us to be. And in fact, uh, he was even more startled when the church began to, the, the church that he was in began to nominate Nazi uh, bishops and Nazi pastors. And they started heading down a, a completely different path. And he started speaking out. And he started saying, hey, wait, 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 wait. There's some non-negotiables. Love for brother is a non-negotiable. Love for sister is a non-negotiable. We're not we don't ne- we don't negotiate on that. That's that's at the core of the gospel. He started to speak out. And in fact, at one of his radio addresses, he started to he started to preach against Adolf Hitler. The radio address was cut off. He had to go underground. Uh, and he started preaching underground. He started to to hide Jews, he started to participate in the in, in helping Jews escape uh, from the Nazis. Uh, he even began to plot to overthrow uh, the Nazi government, and uh, by 1943 uh, he was tracked down by the Gestapo and he was taken to prison. and 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 he, uh, in prison, continued to write and continued to advocate. When an opportunity, when opportunities arose for him to recant, he refused to recant. He basically said, "I I, I trust in God. I believe in God's power. I trust in His provision, and I'm committed to His principles." And 1945. Uh, he paid the ultimate price for his commitments. Sometimes sometimes commitment requires a sacrifice. And, and God called him into that sacrifice, and he was taken out to the gallows in 1945, and he was hung for his beliefs. In fact, there was a doctor there at the very end of his life who observed his very last day. And I want to just read you a quote from the doctor who was there at the, um, at the prison. It said this. He said, The prisoners were taken from their cells, and the verdicts of court-martial read out to them, through the half-open door in one room of the hut, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison guard, kneeling on the, on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. Even at the very end of his life, he trusted in God's power and in God's provision. And when they killed him that day, they thought, we've put an end to this. Message we put an end to this this man's voice, but of course his books, the Cost of Discipleship, uh, uh, and and some of his other articles and sermons have been a massive influence on pastors and theologians worldwide uh, for the last several decades. Because God had a purpose for his life, and he was willing to pay the ultimate price for that purpose. But 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 his message carried on, his message carried he he couldn't be stopped. Because even though, even though God didn't pull him up out of that uh, out of that uh, prison that day, the message carried on. In fact, the Nazis um, uh, surrendered a month later, uh, and and Bonhoeffer's legacy lived on and on and on. Sometimes, when we're called to serve God, we're called to say, "Hey, it doesn't it doesn't matter what the outcome is." That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, "We trust in His power." We trust in his provision. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't save us, we're not going to bow the knee. And of course, they were taken in that moment and they were thrown into the prison or they were thrown into the furnace and they tumbled into the furnace and they didn't know in that moment what the outcome would be. The fire was all around them. They were disoriented. They were troubled. But they had made a a decision. They had made a commitment to some non-negotiables. The best way to navigate life and transitions in life is to determine what won't what won't change where's the line in the sand what do you stand for and of course if you know how this story ends it ends with nebuchadnezzar looking into the furnace and seeing something that throws him off he sees something that isn't supposed to be there the scripture says this it says then the king nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors he says weren't there three men I thought we put three men in that furnace. We, we tied three men up and threw them into the fire. They replied, certainly, certainly, your majesty. That's right. There were three. He said, look, I see four men, four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. He said, I, I, I thought we threw in three, but now there's four. Something miraculous is happening, something powerful, something I can't explain. One day I'm going to preach a sermon called the fourth man. God's with you right in the midst of your stuff, okay? He's with you in your heartache. He's with you in the changes. He's with you in the transitions. He's with you in the problems, right? He says, get them out of there. So Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And then listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. This is how the king... This is what happens to the king. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, and they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see... The king suddenly was so impacted by them that he began to believe in God's power. He began to trust in God's provision, and he decided to commit to God's principles. In fact, if you continue reading in the story, he issues a second edict. Hey, guys, my idol, here's his edict. You know the idol? Forget him. Worship their God. That's the God we're going to start serving because I believe in his power. I trust his provision. And these guys were willing to commit to his principles, even though it meant their certain death. That's a God that I can get behind. Today, God is asking some of you, what are the non-negotiables in your life? What are the non-negotiables in your relationship? This is how you're going to get through the transition and come out better on the other side. What are the things in your life that you're not willing to let go of because God has called you into them? Can you believe in God's power? Can you really believe in it? Can you trust in his provision for your life? And are you willing to commit to his principles in whatever it is, no matter what the outcome is? Because there's a fourth man and he's with you and he'll walk you through. When I was, when I was there at Myrtle Beach and I'm under the water and the, and, the, and the waves are tumbling and I can feel the waves keep coming and I'm being tossed to and fro and I don't know what's going to happen and it's disorienting and I'm a little kid and I'm frightened, right? Suddenly I feel... A hand grabbed me by the arm. I remember this. Grabbed me by the arm and yanked me up out of the water. And I, I tell you what, I liked my dad, but I liked him the best <laughs> right then, <laughs> right in that moment. And I remember looking in his face, and the the look on his in his eyes were I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna find this kid no matter what. I just, this, I'm coming after this kid. I'm gonna find him. Right in that moment, I, I got the glimpse. I got to glimpse what God's relationship with us is like, right? I got, to, I, got to, I got to experience his power. He had the power to pull me up out of the water. It probably, as we look back, as I look back on it, I mean, I might have been in two feet of water. Let's be real. I don't know. The, the story is more dramatic in my mind than it might have been in reality. But I can tell you this. He had the power to pull me out. And he, it was personal for him, right? He was going to do it. He didn't just have the power and then let me go. He's like, I'm going to come after this. I'm going to deliver this kid. I'm going to pull this kid up out of the water. And I can tell you this for the rest of the vacation. When he said, hold on to my hand, I said, I'm going to hold on to your hand. Right. I, I made a commitment to his principles. I said, Dad, I'm not going to let go of your hand anymore. In fact, let's just play some Frisbee on the beach and then we'll get back to the crawdads. All right. How about that, Dad? Right now. But, 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 but the reality is this. God is calling some of you into this and you're going through transitions And you're going through changes and you're going through experiences in life and you're not quite sure how to transition well and you don't know how you're going to get through them and you don't know what God is is got in store for you. But he's calling you today, calling you today, calling you today, every single one of you in your relationship, in your school, on your job, in your finances, in every area of your life. Believe in his power and trust in his provision and commit to his principles Because the best way for you and the best way for me to navigate change in our life is for us to determine right here and right now what won't. So, today I want to end just by, by challenging you to take a concrete step, to make a commitment, to place a line in the sand, whatever it is that God is calling you to do. For some of you, that may mean you're making a commitment today to become a follower of Jesus, you've never done that before. And you've been equivocating. You've been on the fence. You've thought about it, but you've never done it. And he's saying, I want you to make that commitment. If that's you, let us know. Put it on your connection card and let us pray with you and let us, let us reach out to you this week. Maybe it's a recommitment. You were committed and then you, you know, you got panicked in some waves. Some waves of life came along. You let go of your father's hand. And he's saying, hey, I want you to take hold of my hand. I'm going to pull you up out of here, but I want you to take hold of my hand. And you need to make that commitment. For some of you, it might be baptism. You haven't been baptized, and, you've, and you've, you've made a confession of faith, but you haven't made that decision to be baptized. I want to challenge you today. Put it on your connection card. Maybe it's becoming a part of a church, joining the family. If it's not this church, then it should be some church. Go to some church. Become a part of the family. But it should be this church or another church. It's all one church, actually. But make a commitment. Become part of God's family. Become a part. Join the family of God. Start to lay out some non-negotiables in your life because when you build those non-negotiables into your life, God can see you through situations that you can't get through on your own. Maybe it's joining a life group. Maybe it's just having somebody pray with you. I don't know what yours is, but make a firm and sure and sound commitment, a concrete step and say, I'm going to draw some non-negotiables into my life because the very best way to navigate change in your life is to determine right here and right now what won't change. Let me pray for us as we close. God, I pray that your spirit would stir our hearts. Give us strength to do what you've called us to do. Every single one of us. Let us have the faith and the trust of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let us take the steps that you're calling us to take. Let us us know what things we will not let go, what things will not change despite the outcome, despite the circumstance, despite the situation. Help us to build some non-negotiables into our life, God, so that you can transform us and change us and take us through these transitions in a way that makes us better, not bitter, that makes us stronger, not weaker, that makes us more and more like you. Father, we pray this to your honor and to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.